Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest for this episode is Maggie McAlpine. So Maggie, if you want to give a little bit of background on yourself. Sure. Hi, Tony. So I'm uh, Maggie McAlpine. I am uh, currently the Cyber Engagement Lead at MITRE Ingenuity's Center for Threat Informed Defense. Uh, so I'm the person who's hopefully reaching out to the community, getting their feedback and helping it inform our future projects. It's a really great organization. I'm excited to be there. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, just uh, just by way of a, a, a little bit of background, so you know, I've known I've known you for a while. I mean, you and I previously worked together at at Cyber Reason, um, but even before that, uh, I had you you were on a a, a panel uh, that I had covered, um, and I think it was related to you know your your background with um, uh, election security um and and things like that so you know we, we we've you know been in the same circles for a while but i also you know, i mean miter um i have tremendous respect for miter i think most of the industry has tremendous respect for miter so i think that's a um you know a great place to be and congrats thanks yeah it's uh, exciting pretty exciting to be here <laughs> um so I guess I guess my first question is sort of what's the if if you can if you can help me understand like what's the distinction between like MITRE and the MITRE Ingenuity side of things? Sure. So MITRE, uh, as a lot of people know, is like a 60-year-old, you know, government nonprofit, you know, very serious, like works with all the uh, government agencies. Um, some point uh, in the last few years, they spun off MITRE Ingenuity with the mission to work more with for-profit. So it's going to be a little less um, like tightly restricted on its movements. It's going to be uh, more outreach to private industry and more partnership there. And things like MITRE Attack and whatnot fall under uh, MITRE Ingenuity and, and in that sort of interest of partnering and working with private industry. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, and you know, MITRE ATT&CK also is, I think, something that I think most people have uh, a, a pretty good level of respect for. I mean, I, I look forward to seeing the, the the results every year. You know, the one thing that uh, I think comes up every year, and I, I wrote about it when it happened this year, uh, is just the spin. You know, I mean, like MITRE, MITRE has taken a position of, you know, hey, we're this is just we're we're sharing raw data. We're not declaring a winner, et cetera. And it's like, OK, that that's great. That makes sense on some level. But the vendors who participate <laughs> very much try to declare a winner. And as soon as the results come out, it's, you know, you know, someone's going, you know, oh, well, you know, we we were the we, you know, we're number one in MITRE. And it's like. Well, no, you're number one in MITRE in this specific category for this specific test. I mean, you're you're very much cherry picking the results here at this point, um, which I think just makes it it makes it harder for customer, like you know, the the market in general, like who's trying to like get some benefit from the MITRE results to like, okay, well, if I look at ten different vendors, I'm going to get sort of ten different answers on what the MITRE results mean. Absolutely, I mean. I, I will say first of all that um, yeah, it's like it's not Gartner, right? It's like it's not our Forrester or something. It's not it's not ranking people and things like that. But I, I will say that there's actually like within MITRE Ingenuity, a, like a, a quite a few like smaller organizations even there. And one of them is the MITRE Attack Evaluations team, uh, which are some fantastic people I've had the chance to work with. But we're actually like a separate team over in the Center for Threat Informed Defense. So we we sort of field this all the time, and we like try to make sure people find the right people. But the Center for Threat Informed Defense and their projects is more about like creating. Tools 
tools for MITRE ATT&CK. So, you know, we created a, a web browser tool not too long ago that allows you to like quickly look up uh, MITRE ATT&CK terminology, or we created like an ecosystem of like MITRE ATT&CK data called the Sightings Ecosystem, which is like or even now calling for contributors of data, which like gets you access to this MITRE ATT&CK, you know, styled pool of uh, attack data, right? Um, but all of these like tools, it's almost like I, I sort of joked, it's almost like the mo the Minecraft mod store uh, for MITRE ATT&CK, uh, if you're familiar with that kind of terminology. And that's like what the center does is try to come up with these projects that will serve people who are using MITRE ATT&CK and who are, you know, interacting with all of this and who are defenders in the industry. But it's not like it is not the same as the evaluations team who have like a totally different mission. OK, well. But, uh, you know, I, it's, you know, it sounds like that's, you know, exceptionally helpful. I mean, so the, so aside from the part that I just described of, you know, end customers in the market, you know, having to kind of struggle to figure out, okay, well, what, what, is, what do these results mean? Um, regardless of how that all, you know, filters out, um, it sounds like you know the 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 kind of tools you're talking about would be very helpful, um, you know, and 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 I will also say just you know real quick again on on MITRE ATT&CK that you know one of the other challenges I think there is with that is just that it's not it, there's no one size fits all, so even if a vendor uh, you know is like well we're number one it's like okay well you're number one but based on a number of factors and criteria that might or might not exist in my environment. I mean, there, there are a number of variables to consider. Um, and, you know, and, and just because someone was number one in one way doesn't necessarily mean they're number one in your environment. Sure. I mean, I, I guess that's why people really need to go back to the data sometimes, because sometimes I imagine those categories are fairly niche, like, uh, and, and you just need to know what that category was, um, that they got that ranking in, and, and then it's per, you know, properly represented, of course. Right. Yeah, I mean that that is the 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 primary takeaway is 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 always just go look at the data for yourself. It's just that not everyone, I uh, I think I think a lot of people maybe don't aren't at the level where they fully understand what it is they're looking at, and so they kind of want someone else to interpret it for them. But then you're open to the 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 bias of the interpreter. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe that's the point where you go and you, you talk to your internal team or if you're the person who has the decision making power. Uh, I, I don't know if I would say hire a consultant, but maybe I'd even say the opposite of that. But, you know, it's always important to do your homework and uh, and dig in to what that is. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so, you know, is there. Anything ongoing, upcoming um, that you guys are working on that you can talk about? Yes, absolutely. So uh, at any given point, the center, I mean, the center has actually got its 20, 20th anniversary but not of years, of 20th project anniversary, uh, 20 projects coming up very soon. Um, and we're gonna be celebrating that and deep diving into that with uh, some content coming out soon. But at any given point, we have like two to three projects that are kind of in the pipe and we are always uh, working with the sponsors or with the community to try to figure out new ones. There's just like a constant like wish list of, of things that could be coming out. But like right now we are uh, working on uh, soliciting data contributors for something called the sightings ecosystem and coming as I was from the vendor space this was actually one of the projects I got most excited about first uh, because it seemed just so applicable and it's basically like uh, you know it is somewhat what the title says which is um, 
you know, a collection of uh, adversary behavior that's being, you know, uh, gathered in one place from multiple contributors. Uh, and and I what I like about MITRE being perhaps the repository of this is, of course, that they're a nonprofit and then they're not like vendor specific. If a vendor hosted it, you know, they'd probably focus on things that they can address or they could go bankrupt or they could just decide one day that they're going to monetize it instead of having it be free. So it's kind of like this open source database they're trying to put together um, of, um, it, well, open source, if you join, you can get the data out. I think you can get some summaries out, but you got to like to get the full thing. You got to, you know, contribute um, of this sort of raw sightings data that is uh, of specific adversary TTPs that are being mapped to attack um, anonymized and aggregated to produce this intelligence, uh, you know, uh, describing insights from that data. Uh, so they're they there's they've got till I think the next couple of months they're in, they're soliciting more people to join that program. Um, and uh, I I think that is just one of the cooler things that that we're working on and what I'm really excited about. Well, okay, and it, it sounds uh, it sounds exciting to me as well if I'm understanding it properly because it's it sounds like something I've been you know I've I've talked about for five or ten years, which is you know the you know so going back to what was it operation night dragon was that the google china I, I, what year was I, that hmm? what year would that have been it was like 2012 i, I want to say um but it was when uh, <laughs> it was like google google was you know uh, google announced that they had been uh you know hacked on some level um, it was attributed to to threat actors in China. You know, I always I always sort of frame it that way. It's like, well, I'm not going to say it was China directly necessarily, although I think that the distinction is semantic. Um, but you know, but when they when they released that information at the time, a, a number of other companies all of a sudden came out and said, hey, you know what? We were seeing that that stuff too. We we also had that happen. However, you know, everyone. You know, it's just the, the kind of the mindset of security. Everyone wanted to keep it secret. So everyone knew they were being hacked, but they didn't want to talk about it until Google went public. And then all of a sudden everyone came out of the woodwork and was like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we saw that, too. And then they could kind of like put all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle on the table and look at it together and go, OK, well, now now we really understand, you know, you guys saw this, but we saw this. And now if we put the whole piece together, now we can understand how this whole thing happened how it worked and uh you know and i had had a conversation he was at the uh, mcafee still at the time but i had a conversation with uh george kurtz around that time about that and 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 and, and we talked about how how valuable that was that you know the idea of having you know the having the uh the data on on the TTPs and and the, you know attacks that you're seeing live um, and being able to share that information would be very valuable and you know I think a number of vendors sort of position themselves as having that but still within their own proprietary bubble like it's you know it's like if you're if you're, you know, well, McAfee doesn't really exist anymore, Trellix now, but, uh, you know, but if you're McAfee and you say, oh, well, we have customers around the world. And so we have all of this sensor data and all of these inputs. And so, you know, if there's an attack going on in Australia, you know, we know about it and we and, and we can share that information across our ecosystem with our other customers. And it's like, okay, well, that's great within 
the McAfee ecosystem. Same thing for, you know, CrowdStrike, same thing for, you know, Tenable, whoever. Um, everyone has their own like proprietary bubble of information that they're, you know, aggregating and sharing with their own customers. But I've, I've advocated, like I said, for the last 10 years for something more, more along these lines of saying, well, okay, but let's cross, let, let's take the bubbles away and share that information. Because I think that as a cybersecurity, as an industry, um, it's my opinion that we all have um, an obligation to work together to solve the problem. And 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 how you differentiate yourself in the market, if you're CrowdStrike, if you're Tenable, if you're Cyber Reason, you know, it should be something else. Like you, you can you can differentiate yourself in the market based on how you solve the problem or whatever. But I think this sort of sharing of information that is necessary for everyone to understand what the problem even is should be the de facto like that should just be the way it works. Yeah, ideally. And and you know, I mean, that's kind of been a philosophical core to the tech community as long as I've known it, you know, with things like open source. But I think it's also worth noting that the one thing that, again, made me excited about Settings Ecosystem is it doesn't necessarily negate the possibility of those customer, um, you know, centric alerts and like that bespoke, like we're going to let you know about the things you need to worry about. Because actually what if if like if somebody like a Cyber Reason or a CrowdStrike joined the Settings Ecosystem, they would also, in theory, get data, they would actually not in theory and practice get access to the data of a CrowdStrike or a Cyber or somebody else who came in. And then they could, you know, actually pull that knowledge in a in a nonprofit third party, you know, not, you know, not going to favor anybody. And you can actually take that information out and back with you to serve your customers. So you're actually getting, you know, for you're going to get a larger pool of data available to you, which to, to actually work with. And the real goal of this, I think, too, is to kind of cut through some, uh, you know, for, I, well, let me get to that in a second. But first, like, you will maybe find in that data things that you are uniquely suited at addressing. And you'll be able to promote with that. You'll be able to say, hey, we're part of this, you know, this, uh, what's the word? I'm like nonpartisan, you know, sort of uh, group with this sightings data. And look, the thing that we address best is number one right now. And you don't even have to trust us on it because obviously we're going to say that we're a vendor. But like this MITRE thing, this MITRE ecosystem actually is saying that the thing we address is number one threat right now. Uh, so you could take that back home with you uh, to work with. Uh, and more importantly, it's also trying to cut through this noise. It's, you know, there is the sort of like, it's nothing but solar winds one week. It's nothing but colonial one week. It's nothing. And I, you know, those are actually really important attacks. Those are really important things to know about. But I can imagine if you're a small, you know, the single defender of a small company or something like that, like you're not seeing, you know, these like hyper necessarily like these hyper specific like defense industry targeted like APT groups coming after you. You know, you're not getting targeted with espionage stuff that might make the news. You're getting maybe there's some old ransomware type or something that's just you're just getting hit with all of the time and like but you don't know that other people are too. So it's also kind of meant to cut through that noise and actually look at what threats are really happening, even if they're not sexy. Right. Right. Well, and and you know, I, I sort of alluded to the my, the jigsaw puzzle analogy, but I've used that a number of times because I'm like, okay, you know. You know, CrowdStrike has a set of pieces, Tenable has a set of pieces, Cyber Reason has a set of pieces. Customers who are being hit by these attacks have a set of pieces. It's just that nobody really knows what the 
puzzle is supposed to look like. You know, it's like when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, you've got the box there in front of you, so you can look at the cover, you look at the lid, and understand what's the what's the you know the end result supposed to look like, so you can try to match the pieces up with where they belong on the picture. But if I just give you ten random puzzle pieces and say, "Here, go," um, you've got nothing to work with, and that's why I think you know something like this is valuable. It's like, well, you need everyone to pull all the pieces together. Um, you know, so that you can try to figure out what that larger picture looks like. Um, and, you know, to, to the point you were just making about, you know, maybe it shows that, you know, the, the thing that's number one on, on the list of being, you know, you know of, of, of attacks right now is the one thing that you're good at. Um, I think that's also a, another one of the reasons that it's so valuable to share the information is, you know, within cybersecurity, and I mean, probably within you know, lots of industries, but because I'm in cybersecurity, it's what I see. Um, there's a lot of the philosophy of when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. Um, and, you know, so an endpoint protection company is viewing things from that perspective. And, and they're, you know, they're going to see the problem from that perspective and they're going to provide answers from that perspective, which is going to be different than, you know, a, a vulnerability management company, which is going to be different than an intrusion detection company. It's like, so they're all looking at it differently. And even if they're looking at the same thing, they're going to interpret it differently. And, and, and the way that attacks have evolved, you know, so you know, once upon a time, maybe that was okay. But I think, you know, attackers continue to get smarter and, and, and they, they, you know, they, the more sophisticated attackers understand what the endpoint protection is looking for. They understand what the intrusion detection is looking for. They understand what, you know, all of these tools are going to detect. And, you know, so they obviously work to stay under that radar. Like there's like, I, I can go right up to this threshold. And and I don't want to cross it because I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna flag something, um, and so you break the attack up over different pieces. You're like I'll do a little bit over here, I'll do a little bit over there, and I'll you know I'll do all of it just to stay just under the radar. But then when you put it all together, you know now you're compromised. Yeah, I mean the attackers are uh, in in a funny way they're almost like our industry. You know they're in our industry too, so to speak, because they you know as we saw in the Conti leaks, like they have their own office buildings, they have their own HR, they have their own uh, way of doing things, and they're all professionals. They're just professionals on the dark side. And they're absolutely systematic. And they're as professional and as, you know, uh, careful as, I, you know, anyone maybe on the defender side. And they're absolutely looking at what we're talking about. They're looking at what we're aware of, and they're going to try to break it up. And they're going to try to fly under the radar. And they're going to try to get if they're, you know, a money focused group versus like an espionage group, like if you're a ransomware group, you're going to go for as much money as you can. And that's going to involve really knowing your light your the the uh the landscape and knowing your targets and what your targets are concerned about so i absolutely believe they have you know eyes and they're sharing information probably you know as well just as we should be doing more right probably and yeah i mean it it, it you know we we talked you know, we we covered that a lot you know at at cyber reason but uh it's uh yeah that the, you know, the the fact that they have basically the you know mirror image of of the ecosystem that there is you know there is hr they're like you know a lot of a lot of the things that you know, like with ransomware it's like well the ransomware you know you've got one group who's who's actually writing writing the ransomware exploit then they're offering that as a as a service somebody else is is contracting that service 
some other third party is managing the payment processing. Like, yeah, that's not, you know, that's not typically an in-house thing. It's like, there's this whole ecosystem going on. And, uh, yeah. And, and when you were talking, it also reminded me that, uh, you know, a lot of what any company does is competitive Intel, you know, like you, 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 you try to like, you know, actually get the platform or tools of your, or of your competitor. So you can have someone really get in and figure out, okay, exactly. How does this work? What are they doing that we're not, what are we, you know, what are we better at than them? And, you know, and you do that kind of competitive Intel on your, your, your rivals, I imagine they're doing the same, you know, I mean, they're, they're buying all the security tools and they're and putting them up in test environments so they can figure out how do you, how do you get past this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is uh, something we talked about, uh, as you said, in CyberBreeze. I actually we talked about it for a, a, quite a lot. And when I was in the election security world, uh, you might know I was one of the voting village founders at DEF CON. And we would, for two days, uh, you know, hack into voting machines. We'd, we'd take them apart, put them back together again, uh, along with the, the attendees. And at the end, we would always make the point, like, this has only been a two or three day exercise. If there's an actual, like, you know, persistent threat out there, if there's an actual group going after these machines or, or, or the software or anything affiliated with our elections, they're not spending two days on it. They've got a lab somewhere. They're spending hours and days and experts on it. Um, so, you know, uh, if, if you're if you if these attacks are not up to your standard of what you think, you know, is a threat. Just keep in mind, this is a bunch of experts in two days and not, you know, a, a dedicated team. And and these other, again, going back to the idea, they're professionals and they absolutely would have dedicated teams uh, tearing apart these say, tools. I was going to say, like, I, I'd almost feel better. Uh, no, I definitely would feel better if it was um, professionals in two days. But I don't know if it was last year or the year before, because like, they, 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 they've also invited children to do DEF CON Voting Village and like m middle school kids have hacked into these systems in two days. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I'm just going to use the opportunity to actually tell the real story there because it actually was a, like a little bit of a of a funny pain point for us for a bit. So in I think it was 2017, what we had was an affiliated group within DEF CON who was doing like a kids hack event. And we uh, helped them out and offered them what basically was the a very accurate mock-up of a uh, government website. So like a Secretary of State's website. Um, and the kids were able to, using this, again, like picture-perfect photocopy of how that site was built, get in and change the numbers of the election. Um, so it was, some people complained like, oh, it's that's so easy. It's just some numbers on a website. That's just basically, you know, tagging a building, levels of ease. And, uh, and, and I understood their point because when people were hearing election hacking, they always assume it means there was a voting machine involved. But actually hacking right. an election can be everything from, you know, the, the Hillary Clinton email hacks could count as an election hack. You know, anything that would influence uh, people's perception, people, anything that would, because elections are so multi-part. But right. uh but what um, but what I took issue with when people saying, well, that doesn't count because it's not a machine is actually people have died in uh, in uh, election protests where the results were changed mid-election. So um, like a riot would break out because, you know, you thought your guy was ahead and then they go, oops, sorry, just kidding. We got hacked and those results are wrong. This is the actual real result and your guy's now losing. I mean, that first of all, would you believe it? If, like, say, the party in power said that about the person coming in, would you believe that even if it was true, even if it was right. a 10-year-old script kitty who had changed the numbers on the official well, website? So that was our point. We were like, this is an election hack. Right. Um, well, I guess, I guess two points on that. Number one, I would say, um, number one, we, we, we sort of saw that with 2020 because of the difference between real-time voting and mail-in voting 
And, you know, so you see the kind of exit polling tracking all day. It looks a certain way. And all of a sudden, you know, four hours later, they count all the mail-in votes and it completely shifts. And now you have half the country who's like, oh, I'm, I, that seems wrong. My guy should have won. And it's like, well, no, they just weren't done counting the votes. Like, <laughs> like it, it's not there's no secret conspiracy. They just have to actually count all the votes before you can declare a winner. Um, but to, to your point about the secretary of state thing, too, I think that very much can influence things. Like it's, it's part of the reason that I, that I, I feel like during, you know, as, as you know, the, the CNNs and NBCs and Fox newses of the world are doing their, their tracking from like the, you know, break of dawn until the end of the day on election day. Um, I generally feel like it's, it's bad <laughs> it's bad for the election process because it, it what you know and and they, they they do try not to actually declare a winner but like if you're on the west coast the east coast is done voting and you already know who won stuff before you get to the west coast and it influences people's willingness to stand in line and their willingness to show up um so if you could change the numbers if you know or, or let's just take like you know I, i'm in texas so I, I wake up on election day essentially knowing that my vote is meaningless, <laughs> that that it, it you know, I, I'm in a red state and what I care, what I what I think doesn't really matter. And, you know, and level, but I will protest. You shouldn't pay attention to primaries and local municipal elections, too. Those are very important. But please right. continue. <laughs> well, and so, you know, and, 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 and I, I do still I do still go vote every time. Um, but. I can see where like. If if I woke up and you know if someone woke up and they just looked at the numbers and the numbers just showed like it was ridiculously skewed one way or the other, then it'd be like okay, well either my guy's winning, I don't need to show up, or oh my guy's losing so badly, I don't need to show up. Um, and if someone hacked those numbers, you know, if those numbers didn't reflect reality, you're you're now influencing, you know, the ability, you know, you're you're influencing the the turnout of the election. So even something that simple, like I don't have to actually hack the election machine itself, mm -hmm. um, you know, but just on that note, I mean, on the professional side of things, we've shown that that's also possible. Yes, we've shown that's possible. Uh, elections are an interesting and difficult beast, specifically because the perception of a hack is as damaging as an actual hack. If you just did absolutely nothing but convince people that you had done something, uh, that can that can constitute an election hack because of the way it would influence opinion. Um, so that was always something we had to be extremely careful with uh, when talking. We had to be very self-disciplined about like not making apocalyptic projections and things like that, um, and and really trying to keep the message on like knowing how someone can die doesn't mean you know how they were murdered. You know, like we know this thing could kill someone. We're not saying this person was killed this way. You know, uh, and and uh, uh, and just along those lines, just like not saying, first of all, just being rigorously nonpartisan because you know it can happen to anyone. Uh, and and also just acknowledging the fact that a lot of a lot of mistakes in elections actually like the ones that actually get recounts and things like that. Huge percentage of those are accidents. You know, they're uh, they're just a mistake, human error. They're not m malice necessarily. Um, and for malice to actually have an influence in a lot of the ways that people think about, um, uh, a federal election is probably not where it's going to happen because the numbers are too big. It's really like quite hard to it's a it's the conspiracy. Um, 
a formula, right? Like uh, somebody did a calculation once of how many people would have to be involved uh, for the moon landing to have been faked. And it was like right. among them, the entire population of Russia um, would have to be in on it. Um, so uh, and, and not spill. So it's kind of similar like that with elections as far as like, say, voter fraud or something like that. The number of people who would have to be involved to individually swing ballots towards a, a, a change is pretty untenable in a federal election. It might work in like a local dog catcher type thing or like a really small election or something with a very tight margin in a small election. But, you know, you, you just need to be aware of these things, too. And, and almost always we've seen that the the true outcome or true reason behind anything, quote unquote, fishy is some sort of machine or human error. Uh, right. So it's always just where it's, you know, don't, don't ascribe to malice, but stupidity <laughs> will. Uh, right. Will, well, will that's very true. And, yeah. and it, you know, I think it's it's always been a little frustrating to me from uh, for, as someone who's very interested in in the political side of things, but also works in cybersecurity, because on the one hand, I'm very much I'm like, OK, why does this have to be so complicated? Why can't I just vote from my phone? Why can't I just show up and hit a button? You know, like, why can't we just do this electronically? It would it would take like four seconds to add up the votes. Um, and, you know, and, and then I and then I put my cybersecurity hat on I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> Endpoint security. How are you going to secure everybody's phone? Uh, and their computer. How are you can make sure that now no, everybody's device that they vote from is not already corrupted in some way uh, or going to be corrupted and root. Uh, so it, it, the, the problems just multiply. And that's why Internet voting doesn't work. Honestly, mail-in voting accomplishes almost everything that people want Internet voting to do, but much more safely um, and much more provably. Could yeah. you imagine trying to do a recount if we'd had digital, like only digital records in any of those disputed elections? Oh, my God. You can just, I mean. Right. The, the, well, and the, the I, down. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I mean, I've given some thought to that because I'm like, I'm like, okay, so even if you know, like, you know, the the machines that, well, they just changed them recently, but the machines that we've used here in uh, Harris County in in Texas for a while, it's like you'd go in, there's a little dial thing, there's the you know digital screen, and you'd make all your selections, and at the end, it would kind of like, you know, print out this thing, and it's like, okay, well now here's 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 all your answers, um, and. You know, I was always like, all right, well, but how do I know that that didn't get changed on the electronic side? You know, whatever, like, like there, there are so many like checks and balances that still need to to kind of happen, even for something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm 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 all for the mail-in ballots, and I mean, I think, you know, as much controversy as it uh, got in 2020, you know, the entire state of Oregon has been doing mail-in ballots for a while, and What's even better about their system is when they send you the ballot, they send you like a whole booklet of, okay, here's here, you know, here's the background on the candidates and here's the here's the ballot issues we're talking about. So now you've got information to from which to make a decision as well, because what happens with most people and, uh, you know, is, is, you know, I go in, you know, I already know, you know who I'm voting for for governor. But then you start getting into, okay, you know. Fifth Circuit Court judge, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't freaking know who these people are. I don't know who I don't know their records. I don't know who I want. Um, but you're asking me to vote for them. And it's like, you know, and I understand on 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 one level, that's very much my responsibility as a citizen. Uh, you know, and, and my, you know, my my duty as a as a citizen is to understand, well, who is running and what does that mean and what is their record and who do I want to choose. You know, but it's it's a lot <laughs> like and people people aren't that invested, uh, you know, in in those lower level uh, elections like that, 
but I think it would I, I would be more so if if you gave me the booklet and the time to do some some research into it. Um, you know, I, I guess my similar anecdote would be when I when I joined the Air Force. I took the ASVAB, you know, it's the, you know, the test they do for, you know, figure out what your aptitudes are and figure out what you're qualified for to, to do in the military. And, you know, my score came back, you know, basically, I don't remember what it was. It was like, it was like a 99. And so they were like, all right, you can basically, you, you can literally do anything, any career in the military, pick one. And they gave me a binder, like five inches thick. And sat me down at the table, and I, I I have a feeling, and I don't I don't know this for sure. I have a feeling if I would have known enough to push back and say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna go home. I need some time to think about this. You know, can I can I borrow this book? Um, that you know maybe that all would have been okay. But that wasn't the sense I got. The sense I got was, hey, can you make this decision in the next 30 minutes? with this five inch binder and no other information. And so I, I kind of flipped through I'm like, I don't know that one. I'll do that. Um, that's how I feel on election day. A lot of times it's like, I don't, I don't know anything about this, but you know, there's people in line behind me. I need to make a choice. Yeah. And, and, and that sort of is compounding the fact that like every state is different. So, you know, you, you can have like Oregon system sounds wonderful. And then you have the problem of the fact that like in other places, it's a touchscreen machine. So it is a line behind you. And, and whereas in New Hampshire, where I live, uh, it's, um, it's a ballot where you can, it's just a paper ballot. So you can go and you can take your time and they can have like a million booths set up and then you just feed it into the machine at the end. Uh, so every state's different and, and every system's different. And, you know, we try to steal from each other to make it more you know better but every state also has its own priorities uh, well, and I, I recognize and we'll, i'm going to say this and we'll try and get back to uh, uh miter annuity but i recognize we've gone way off off track yeah. but um that actually is another thing. like i personally am opposed to most state sovereignty um in the in those ways whether it comes to you know you know the each state gets to choose you know each each county or whatever gets to choose well how they want to run elections i'm like well no we are all you know like maybe if you want to do that for your own county election fine but we are all voting for the president of the united states this is a federal election we should all be voting the same way like there shouldn't be a difference between how you do that in florida versus oregon versus new hampshire in my opinion same thing with education system i'm like I don't I don't want the education system decided on a county by county, district by district basis. Like we have decided as a country that education is a thing that we provide K through 12. There should be some standardization of how that happens and how that's funded. And there shouldn't be a, you know, order of magnitude difference in the quality and funding of a school district from one county to the next. Yeah, I mean, best of luck with that. They, it is a jealously guarded state's right. And uh, it has its moments. It has its moments when somebody on the federal level does try to have influence over the election. Um, they really can't because of how, how jealously guarded of a state's right. So it does serve as its own check and balance. But of course, everything has its ups and downs. Pros well, and and a cons. lot of the problems with it are it's the same 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 issue with the. Uh, the Electoral College, it's one thing if it's just a thing that we've done that is maybe not working and, and we want to change it. It's another thing if it's a thing that we've done that's, 
you know, and and embedded in the Constitution, because now I have to have an actual constitutional amendment to change that. Like, I can't just decide on a whim, like, hey, what if we did what, what if we did this a better way? Um, you know, it has to actually be a constitutional amendment, which is problematic. <laughs> Very near impossible. Um, so, yeah. so um, anyway, uh, you know, but uh, so uh, uh, let's go back to, uh, you know, miter ingenuity. Yeah. Let's go back to the idea of, you know, sharing information, sharing intelligence. Right. Um, it, you know, like I said, it, it, it definitely makes sense to me. So, so. You know, you you said you're soliciting organizations to you know be members to take part in this. Um, explain again. Um, you know, the members who are part of it obviously can 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 kind of pull information from this. If if an a organization is not a a member, a contributing member, is there any way to access the information, or is there you know, or is it just uh, you're either in or you're out? be a report i think that will you know summarize kind of what's found and it will make that information available but you won't have like the deep dive into the data and uh you know how to disseminate it that i think would be the access given to people who are also contributing right and 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 just to be clear i also think that's totally fair yeah like like everyone just I, wants to if, the bread you know right it's like i, I you know like, uh, basically if you're not contributing and you just want to see the data it's like well you know you're asking for something for nothing it's like well if you're not going to if you're not going to contribute and play and and play play the game then why should we uh why should we give you a trophy and and, and to be clear too i mean vendors have been the example i've brought up as far because they have maybe a motivation and understanding this data more that maybe is a little bit more direct in a to b but like the ideal is that it's not just vendors who are sharing this information we would love to have every sector we can every industry we can you know finance agriculture uh everybody you know contributing so that we can actually see like what threats are hitting by industry? You know, what are things that we might not have realized are, are being used across industries? And that's very hard to do if it's just, you know, narrow vendors. Now, another thing is, though, that if you, like, were worried about anonymizing that data, if you were worried that, like, you know, private stuff would get into that, you could also work with a vendor to contribute it that way. So, like, there there are ways to contribute and and that are very mindful of anonymity and, and privacy and things like that. But, uh, yeah, not to make it sound like it's just meant for cybersecurity vendors. Uh, ideally, we would someday it would be wonderful if we just had, like, you know, almost like a weather channel, like, you know, like a meteorological almost like central repository of just all these attacks that are happening. Imagine what we could learn and, you know, imagine what we could address. Right. Right. I mean, like I said, that goes back to I feel like that information should be it should be like that, you know, like it should just be general information. You know, it's like, you know, use, using that analogy, it's like, you know. The weatherman at ABC doesn't have like proprietary information that doesn't exist <laughs> for the weatherman at NBC, like the you other know, they're, they're sharing the same weather. Um, and 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 I feel like that uh, that that should be in cybersecurity as well. And then, you know. I guess how how you uh, you know how you win in the market, how you differentiate is uh, just by hiring the more charismatic uh, weatherman. Well, 
also keep in mind that one weatherman can't give the weather for that's relevant to every single person in the world. There just aren't enough hours in the day. So, you know, it would also be like it would be relevant to the solution that you provide. You know, where we're really we're disseminating this disseminating this data for you if you're worried about ransomware or endpoints or this things like that. Or we're um, also maybe we're like noticing that this particular geographical location, this particular sector is getting particularly hit right now. And you might see that somewhere in that hundred page report or whatever it's going to be. But like, you know, you might still need somebody who's a little closer to your issue to uh, really grok all of that and to like really put it into terms uh, that are timely and useful to you. Right. Well, and, you know, and I, I, I appreciate that there have been more. It seems like there have been, you know, a, a, a an increasing volume of these types of cooperation. Um, I mean, you have all the ISACs and things, you know, so you have industry specific, you know, kind of coalitions of sharing information, um, you know, for that industry segment. Um, but there's also been, I think, a lot more, uh, especially especially under under the Biden administration. There's been a lot more kind of public private type coalitions, a lot more, you know, kind of bringing everyone to the table to figure out, okay, well, you know, how can how can we address this threat together? Especially with, um, I mean, well, that's because a lot of industries are going to be on the front lines if an attack happens, you know, uh, of some kind. I mean, uh, we saw it particularly with the Ukraine conflict when that kicked off. There was a lot of solicitation from the government to the private sector with that in mind, the fact that the, the, the private industries were going to be possibly the first who were going to spot the early signs of any kind of uh, longer or longer term or more serious attack. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you know, uh, I, I wanted to uh, kind of start to wind things down, but also um, is there, you know, so, so obviously that's a, a big focus. Is there are, are there any other things on the horizon or the things that uh, you know you you, you want to make mention of that uh, sure. you guys I are mean, working on? I would just note that like we've got uh, a project coming out that was called microemulations, which was basically allowing you to emulate adversaries using smaller chains, which was kind of interesting. And I, you know, you can learn more on the, on the website, but there's also this, and this shocked me when I kind of first came to the center, was that there's this entire repository of like GitHub tools on GitHub of tools that the center has created in partnership with the sponsors, but it's meant for the public. It is out there for free. And I was, you know, not very many people actually know about these free resources that the center has been putting out. So kind of one of my short-term missions is just being like hey there's free stuff there's useful stuff it is meant for defenders it is made by mitre it is like top-notch work and it is there and it's there for your use and you know really love to see wider adoption and making everyone's life easier <laughs> all right well i mean definitely good to know and I'll, I'll i'll you know make sure to include a link i mean you know both both from the standpoint of uh you know people who can benefit from those tools should know about them but also you know, if MITRE is investing the time and effort and resources, you know, if, if MITRE and, and the, you know, associated community are, are developing these tools, you know, you, you want people to get some value out of them. Absolutely. That's the goal. <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to join me. Uh, it was great to uh, chat again uh, in our in our post cyber reason capacities. Um, but uh, yeah, and and and. Yeah, I mean, I could I could talk about election stuff uh, for for hours and hours. We could do a whole separate podcast. We could do on a that. separate podcast. I'm, I actually, it's worth making my disclaimer now. I am not doing election work at MITRE. I'm not affiliated with that. I'm just continue to be a, a member of a society and a citizen. So that is uh, 
Yeah, that's my right. work conditions now. <laughs> Become a poll worker. <laughs> right. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. You too. Have a great day. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts. 